Hi there, I'm Elizabeth Silverstein. When I went to college in 2005, all I wanted to do was write and tell stories, but it seemed like building a career with my craft seemed impossible. Finally, in 2016, I started finding people in other creative craft-based and passion-filled fields forging their own paths, and I started interviewing them. Here are their stories. Sustaining Craft, the podcast starts now. Welcome to the very first episode of Sustaining Craft, the podcast. I found Tom of Tom Brown Creates on Instagram. His miniature functional kitchen caught my eye. He makes these delightful little foods. He also makes functional little items. Thanks, Tom, for chatting with me today. Would you like to introduce your business and give your 30-second elevator pitch about what you do? Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me today. And uh, yeah, so as you said, my name is Tom Brown. I'm an artist. I work primarily in miniature, and my main project is a project called Finders, or pardon me, Feeding the Masses, in which I set up in public places with my uh, fully functional handcrafted miniature kitchen and cook uh, miniature food and give it away for free to members of the public. Well, that's, it's been really fun. I just wanted to say watching your videos, um, it's just been, it's just it's so adorable. And then there's also the technical um skill too because you have to figure out how to do everything in this this tiny format absolutely so that's the one um important aspect that you touched on there which is that everything in the kitchen is handmade by myself every uh every tool the sink stove oven fridge all of them are fully functional and uh yeah handmade by myself and so you're right it is it's sort of like a very broad um very broad set of skills that i've had to discover in order to make this project happen but i was lucky enough to start it while I was going to art school and I had a great access to uh, woodshop, metal shop, and some very knowledgeable people that I learned a lot from. That's awesome. Well, um, Tom, are you, you're from Canada, is that right? So I was born and raised in Regina, Saskatchewan, and uh, moved to Calgary, Alberta to attend University at the Alberta College of Art and Design, and I uh, graduated with a degree in fine arts. And uh, yeah, ever since then, I've been a practicing artist. That's great. And I noticed you had posted um, a couple of things, some things you made when you were a kid. So this interest started when you were much younger? Yeah, absolutely. So I started when I was uh, when I was quite young, whittling. Okay. I would uh, just go find sticks and branches and stuff like that and carve them into things that I wanted. So when I was a kid, I really wanted to learn how to play the guitar. And in order to do that, I needed... I needed a guitar, but I didn't have one. And so I thought, what's, how can I, how can I get a guitar? I know I'll make one, but I couldn't make a full-size guitar. So what I ended up with was a guitar that was two inches long. And I realized that I actually really liked making the miniature object better than I would have liked the the full-size object. And that kind of became my preoccupation from there. And so you made you made these things when you were a kid. How did you um, venture into this uh, functional capacity of like making little kitchen items and being able to actually cook food? Yeah, so it was I guess the initial impulse of wanting to make these things because I wanted to use them kind of stuck with me, and that became uh, a big focus is that I wanted to make these objects functional. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge to me isn't just replicating the aesthetic of an object in miniature, it's re- 
the actual function of it. Um, and I came back around to this project while I was going to art school in a context where I understood why I was fascinated with miniature and I understood why it fascinated people. Mm-hmm. Because it's this really interesting reflection of the everyday world that kind of renews, uh, you know, renews the way that we see the world. It kind of helps us see it with new eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that in mind, I started making miniature art. Uh, for classes, I did a miniature lighthouse, which was functional and put in a, a dimly lit gallery, so it kind of reflected on you and made you feel like you were a ship at sea. And uh, I had the idea that food was kind of the natural next step because it, uh, you know, it exists in this place in our lives where it's an essential function. It's also uh, pleasure mm-hmm. and a social function. And all these things I thought were really interesting to look at from an art context. And so the kitchen itself um, basically looks like a toolbox. And uh, it's 10 inches by 10 inches by 16 inches. And it's portable, so I can take it with me anywhere, set it, um, set it down, set it up, and transport the environment of the kitchen, a place that, um, you know, that I love to be. I love to hang out and have deep conversations, cooking supper with people. It allows that thing to exist virtually anywhere. Okay. And then it is, did you start, so I know it started kind of with um, Pizza Tom. Did that start while you were in college? Yeah. Yeah, that was the first performance that I did, and I, I gave myself the moniker of Pizza Tom because um, pizzas were like a, a deeply recognizable object, essentially, something that uh, it's kind of difficult. Like, it's difficult to serve a miniature food. It's difficult to serve a miniature soup or something that's kind of mm-hmm. formless. Mm-hmm. But pizzas have this really, like, this wonderful aesthetic side to them where a pizza is visually quite beautiful mm-hmm. and a pizza is visually very recognizable mm-hmm. so people could uh, and I can also just give you a slice of pizza in your hand and you can eat it mm-hmm. and the name Pizza Tom kind of became my uh, it became my shtick for a little while and I still I still use it for some things but mm-hmm. I've since changed the name of my sort of overarching um, entity to Tom Brown Creates which uh, is a little bit less restrictive than Pizza Tom. Mm-hmm. You did a little more than just pizza. Exactly. <laughs> um, what was the response when you first kind of set up your, your kitchen or you were starting to make these pizzas? How did people respond to it? Um, I mean, at first it's important to say that I was I was essentially among friends when I did the first performance and that the reception was, was absolutely wonderful. The people were thrilled to see me um, investing so much time and effort into a project. At that point, I had spent uh, nearly a year dedicating myself to making the miniature kitchen and to kind of see it come to fruition. People were very happy for me. But more broadly, I think the reaction has been has been um, primarily very positive. Mm-hmm. And uh, the main thing that I find is that it does really uh, create a sense of comfort with people when I have the kitchen out on the street and I'm doing a performance and I'm kind of putting myself in this place that people are, uh, they're exceptionally willing to A, trust me and eat food and B, uh, with me and have a conversation and mm-hmm. share a little bit about their own creative journey with me. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense of community um, that you're kind of building here. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think 
well, tell me a little bit about uh, Finders Keepers. So you're um, you're making food and, and doing your performances. You're also making these little functional items like axes and, and cups and even uh, French press, and then you're hiding it. Mm-hmm. How did that start? Yeah, so Finders Keepers was, uh, was created during a period where I had just started publishing videos of me cooking food to the miniature kitchen on Instagram. So I was, uh, I had made a conscious decision to try to reach more of an audience with my work, which is something that I, um, you know, it took me a while to find the right way to do that. And once I did, I realized that to have this great access to a whole group of people who are primarily local, and I can take this project and expand it if I want to. So I started taking uh, little objects. The first thing, uh, first thing that I hid was a pair of miniature tongs. And I just went out and hid it and took a video of it and posted the video of myself hiding it on Instagram. And that first one was up for a couple of days and then somebody, somebody finally clued in and went out and found it. And it was a really exciting result. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I felt encouraged to do more and I've done it now weekly for, um, I believe, a year and a half. Wow. And find times are averaging about, I would say, anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour in the city of Calgary. It's become a very competitive scene to try to find one of the objects. And I've had successful finds as far away as Spain, um, Hawaii. I've done a bunch of uh, hides where I mail an object to people uh, throughout the United States and Canada. And I'm really hoping to expand the project globally. But it's just a really good way of getting, um, of kind of allowing people the opportunity to own art mm-hmm. who might not necessarily have that chance but also to give them a feeling of uh, yeah, just like joy and adventure while they're out searching for the objects even if you don't find it yeah and you're starting to collect the stories of, of how they found um, the object I am yeah I would love to write a book uh, or not write but I would love to compile a book of the stories and uh, kind of just find the find the things that have arisen because some people have you know they have shared their stories of what happens during the hides and some mm-hmm. really like uh, really funny things happen sometimes very strange coincidences happen uh, sometimes there's multiple people on the spot at the same time and they have to negotiate between them who gets to keep the <laughs> the uh, object yeah so it's just a really fascinating little uh I don't want to use the word social experiment because that's not what it is at all to me, but it is a fascinating kind of glimpse into a strange experience. Yeah. Like how do you, yeah. How do you navigate that with a stranger and you both really want this well-made object and you have to make that choice. Yeah, exactly. You do. And it's a tough decision. And so you have um, you have Tom Brown creates. You do your performances and the finders keepers. I've noticed that you have some other projects too, like first Co- cousins or refugee box on your website, imaginary islands. Are some of these projects still happening, or are you focusing mainly on um, your kitchen and the finders keepers projects right now? Most of those projects were made while I was uh, while I was still attending school. I do have a few um, I have a few other projects that I'm. I'm like loosely working on right now, mm-hmm. but my primary focus is on finders keepers and feeding the masses at the moment. I think it's uh, you know it's a it's a difficult thing to get 
momentum and to get people behind something. And I've been lucky enough that uh, that opportunity has presented itself to me. And I feel kind of obligated to invest time into the project because people are, you know, people are motivated by it. And that's a really, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful that they are. Mm-hmm. But I do have, uh, I do have ambitions of kind of growing what I do and creating things that are, uh, that kind of take the themes that I'm exploring right now and present them on a larger scale, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what that looks like yet. Okay. Just got to stay in the moment. Yeah. And so for right now, you're, you're traveling a lot and you're kind of sketching out some goals for the future. Um, what do you, yeah. what, what do you love, like what's coming up for you and what do you love about kind of um, continuing to, to work on these projects? Well, my, um, my favorite thing my whole life has always been making things and I've always just loved the time spending the time in the studio and the time working on things. So it's my favorite part of having um, having people who enjoy what I do enough to contribute to it is that it allows me the opportunity to spend more time in my studio and to really, uh, really invest myself in the ideas and kind of pursuing them to fulfillment. Uh, so that's kind of my, my future plans with the kitchen. I have some projects in terms of creating new videos and creating new objects and kind of creating uh, different little uh, techniques. I'm mm-hmm. doing a little bit more work with uh, electronics and coding to try to make some little kitchen gadgets. Wow. Um, but as far as as far as kind of future plans for it, I think that people like the strange invention mm-hmm. side of what I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, uh, really working hard on pushing that right now and taking, kind of taking some steps into furthering the depth of my practice in that way. Yeah, that sounds great. But it's really, uh, it's been a pretty spontaneous project uh, so far. And it's been, it's been really hard to predict where it's going to go mm-hmm. or kind of navigate knowing knowing exactly what's going to happen with it. So in terms of actually laying out a plan for what my future looks like, it's very, um, it's very difficult. Yeah. And it really just depends on what happens yeah. next week. Yeah. So I'm trying my best to yeah, just kind of remain flexible and um, in a position to respond to things quickly as they arise. And that's part of the creative process in general. I, I Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but you also have a store, and that's accessible through your website, right? Tom Brown Creates. Yes. What, what sort of things can we find in your um, your online store? So my store right now um, exists to sell the stock that I make when I have an opportunity to make a larger handful of objects. So you mentioned the French presses. Mm-hmm. I recently made a run of 10 of those. I've been working on these uh, little porcelain coffee mugs as well that are are quite uh, special, in my opinion, that you can buy in the store. Uh, however, the main sort of source of uh, sales that I've been doing recently is a, a new project that I actually just started three weeks ago that's still in a bit of an experimental phase. Mm-hmm. So for the Finders Keepers project every Friday, um, I make the object, and I've started making a second each of those objects, and then posting that second object as an auction on eBay. Mm-hmm. I think that that's because uh, it's a difficult thing price artwork mm-hmm. um, I, I have quite a hard time with it in terms of 
what is my work actually worth? Because the amount of time that it takes me to make something doesn't necessarily reflect when the object is an inch big. So by kind of allowing the market to set the price this way, I think I've actually ended up becoming um, able to be paid more fairly mm-hmm. than I was when I was asking what I thought the right price for the object was. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping, uh, I'm I'm really hopeful that that will be sort of the future, um, the future outlet for what I make, mm-hmm. and it'll allow me to make things that are more. Um, kind of special, one-of-a-kind, mm-hmm. and and beautiful, I guess. Mm-hmm. When I, make, I find when I make a larger run of objects, uh, it is possible to make them beautiful, but if I can invest that same amount of time into just one object, then I end up with something that's, that's a little more special. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting point point about pricing too I, I spoke with a gentleman um, who's in his 90s and he was a painter and um, we talked about you know how to price things and he's like it's not just the time it took me like all my pieces took me 60 years because that's the time I took to learn how to do this and yes. that it's it's not just the, the time that making the mugs or making the French press it's the time you spent failing too and learning the techniques and all the time in school and the practice it, it adds up and I think um I think sometimes people who aren't creative or don't understand that process can kind of devalue it a little bit because it does take a long time. Yeah. Well, and that's something that's um, actually an interesting point because that's the thing I've been thinking a lot about in terms of the fact that that whole part of the story is missing when a, a lot, and I'm speaking from experience here, that when I go to sell my work, and I experience that issue it's because I'm selling the work and I'm not selling the story of everything that happened mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one thing that I found has really been able to sort of move the needle in terms of helping people understand why they should buy my work, which is a question like when I'm at a market and people come by and they're not necessarily familiar with what I do and they see a miniature coffee mug, they always say, well, what is it for? And I thought a lot about that because my initial answer is, well, what is any art for? Like, how can I say, what is a painting for? What is, um, you know, what is a sculpture for? It's to be appreciated. Mm-hmm. But it's a little bit more abstract with what I do because it is also a functional object. Uh, so I've started telling people when they ask that question, the story of everything that went into making the object, all of the context, everything behind it. And I think that that's kind of, um, you know, that's the power that's becoming more and more available to creators these days with social media because you can share the story. You know, you can do live streams from the studio, you can post stories, you can post um, videos and images of your process. Mm -hmm. And I find that that really, that kind of behind the scenes um, stuff really helps people understand why artists charge what they do for the art mm-hmm. and, and also appreciate it enough to say I actually think that it's right that the artist should be charging this much because I appreciate the story behind it as well as as the final object absolutely um, that's a very yeah that's a I think that's a wonderful response and, and being able to use social media in that way is, is a really beautiful thing yeah it's really it's opened a lot of doors um, alright well 
what's um so you're you're still you're traveling and what where can people find you if they want to come see you create and participate in feeding the masses what's what's happening next for you absolutely so i'll be um i'll be primarily out of calgary and regina uh for the next part of the summer i'm maybe going to toronto mm-hmm. and then i'll be in austin Texas in august for uh, the Tiny Homes Jamboree. It's a Tiny Homes and Simple Living trade show. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I'm hoping to make it to Burning Man this year. So if you want to Burning Man, you can possibly okay. find me out there on the playa. Awesome. And uh, after that, it's kind of uh, it's kind of wide open. If you uh, you know, if you want me to come visit your city, send me a message on uh, on Instagram at Todd Brown Creates. Or, uh, yeah, reach out to me on my website at www.tombrowncreates.com. And uh, I'll look into kind of the different ways of figuring out how to get places. That sounds great. And um, you just mentioned your website, and uh, you have an Instagram as well, Tom Brown Creates. Where else can people find you? Are those the two main places? Yeah, I would say those are the two, two primary places. I am on uh, Facebook and YouTube as well. But my, I would say that my primary uh, platform is Instagram, mm-hmm. and everything that's on Instagram gets relayed through my website, so it has a, a permanent home as well. Perfect. Um, well, those, I think that was all my questions, Tom. Was there anything else you wanted to add, or uh, also, do you have, um, do you have some tips for? For people that are looking to start a creative business or are struggling with what they're doing, do you have any advice for um, for others? Yeah, I can I can share an anecdote about that actually because I haven't always I've had the kitchen for five years, but I haven't always used it, and for a long time I felt feared or uh, like nervous. I was just really afraid of putting myself out there. It was something that I really struggled with. And the first thing that uh, first thing that I started with actually wasn't the kitchen. It was uh, magic wands. So there was a, a bit of like a Harry Potter craze to one here in Calgary, where um, I became aware that there was going to be this uh, this Harry Potter market in my neighborhood. And I've made magic wands before. I've made them as gifts for friends. And I have this design of magic wands where it's a three-piece design and there's a crystal embedded in the middle. It's really, uh, um, not to toot my own horn, but I think it's quite a nice-looking thing. So I made 20 of them for this market, and there ended up being 40,000 people that came out that day, and I sold all 20 of them. And I realized, uh, holy crap, I think I can actually, I feel like I can actually do this. And the thing that, gave me that feeling that's the first boost of confidence was uh just starting mm-hmm. so that's my advice is uh if you have something and you're and you're being blocked by the fear the resistance uh just start and stick with it even if you only do five minutes of work a day make sure you practice a little bit every day and uh and the momentum will it will build whether it's slowly and surely or suddenly it will it will happen just as long as you start and stick with it mm-hmm. and what's what's the the value and the benefit in in kind of building that practice if not every day at least regularly i think the the value is for me it was primarily in how i saw myself mm-hmm. um because i i do you know i do still have uh i do still have a job 
but at the time I was working full time and I was waiting tables and so there was a part of it for myself that saw me as a server and saw myself as completely dependent on that job to earn income. And I think that there's a psychological shift that has to happen in order to have the confidence to try to support yourself a little bit off of your creative practice. And that psychological shift is rooted in believing in yourself, basically, as uh, kind of as, as cliche as that might sound. And the only way that I've found to generate that in kind of inner belief was by um, beginning to see myself as an artist and as a professional artist, which in my head means somebody who is going to work every day on what they do. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful way of looking at it. Um, well, Tom, thanks so much for sharing. Was there anything else um, that popped into mind that you'd like to share? No, you know what? I, I think that's a good place to end it, but I do want to say thank you um, for having me on your podcast. It's, uh, it's a big honor, and uh, yeah, it's always fun to have an opportunity to share my story and I hope that uh, I hope that everybody listening out there was able to take something away from it yeah I, I know I did uh, thank you so much for joining <laughs> me, um, the very first sustaining craft podcast and again um, we're able to find Tom on TomBrownGreets.com and his website he also has a store there on Instagram TomBrownGreets and Facebook and definitely reach out to him if you have any ideas or even if um, you, you would ship someone um an item if they wanted to hide it for you um absolutely things like that yeah well and one last note that it's uh it's not with no h no h okay (laughs) perfect all right well again i loved hearing your story thank you so much for sharing and we'll sign off with that thanks again tom Sustaining Craft is produced by Elizabeth Silverstein and is a project of Hugh and Weld, storytelling for craft businesses. Audio editing and musical intro by Joshua Kurtz. Logo by Morgan Elaine of The Inkling Girl. Your tip of the week. Start your new hobby or craft or business idea with just five minutes a day. After creating a regular habit, add time as you can and see not only your skill improve, but your discipline and your perception of yourself.